Today's guest is Dr. Cliff Capono, a native Hawaiian surfer, professor, and deeply connected man of culture from Hilo on the big island of Hawaii. This is one of my favorite chats, and Cliff is one of my all-time favorite guests, a full-blown battler-spec indigenous man who grew up in a rough neighborhood with an indigenous father grappling with PTSD from war and elsewhere. He ground his way through school and college before returning to his hometown and bringing a world of ideas and opportunities with him. Along with his sponsor, Reef, they've created the Mega Lab, which I went over and visited with Cliff in Hilo. It's an insane institution bringing together cutting-edge science, surfing, nature, and indigenous culture. What a remarkable creation it is, and what a remarkable character Cliff is. Ain't that swell presents... Cool Lords. All right, I'm joined here by Dr. Cliff Capono, a man I'm calling one of the most interesting and important in the surfing galaxy, a scholar of Hawaiian culture and history with a PhD in chemistry, is it? Chemistry. Uh, a journalist. An out-and-out fucking ripper on any board, a truth seeker, truth teller, and a guy who's bringing together the ancient ways of his people with the modern ways of Western science. Cliff, it's a pleasure, brother. Thank you so much. Mahalo, bro. Thanks for having me. Man, uh, you're a man of Hawaiian history and culture. Let's go back to the early years and, and how it all started for you. Uh, the, the early years, uh, I guess when I came out, uh, was in the hospital and I I was actually born on Oahu. A lot of people actually don't know that about me. Uh, they think I was born and raised on the big island of Hawaii, but I'm I'm from, o- I'm from I, I would say, the big island, but uh, I was born on Oahu, and I was born in the Queen's Medical Center. It was started by one of our queens, Queen Emma Lani, and what she was doing in that time in the mid-1800s is a lot of Hawaiian people were dying from disease and getting displaced from heavy colonization and like Western influence from the trade and the missionary, uh, her and, and some of her uh, royalty people thought, okay, we got to start thinking about institutions for Hawaiians. We got to think health. We got to think uh, for the elderly. Lunalilo home is, a, is an old person's home that was started for Hawaiian people. Um, there was a school, the Kamehameha schools uh, was started to educate Hawaiian people. Uh, and the medical center was queen emma that was her and her husband luna lilo they're the ones that wanted to say okay hawaiians are dying we gotta figure out how to um, keep them healthy and keep them alive and it's not just like old people dying or people getting diseases but also like birthing like a lot of um i don't know if you ever seen like a first birthday party in hawaii but we go pretty big uh, because uh, infant mortality was real high so it's it's a pretty famous uh, medical center in here in Hawaii, uh, and my dad was born there, and my my sisters and myself we were all born there, except for one of my sisters, and we moved to the Big Island when I was when I was young, um, and then that's where I started going to school, both in uh, like grade school, regular primary school, and also like from like the community started to learn. Okay. Yeah, talk to us a bit about your family. Like, what, what did your folks do for a living? Uh, yeah, what's their kind of position in the community? Are they, like, very connected to traditional Hawaiian culture? Or, like, I mean, because 
it's gone through waves, hasn't it? Like obviously yeah. it, was, it was outlawed and yeah. and, and like you know almost lost in, in in certain facets, and then it's experienced a resurgence in the last few decades. But yeah, what, what did your parents do for a living, and, and where's their kind of position on that scale? Yeah, my mom, she's actually from San Diego, uh, California. So she came here in to Hawaii in her twenties, early twenties, and she met my dad, uh, who is he's ten years older than her, uh, and then they started having kids me and my four sisters um i would say my, my mom was she's a seamstress so she kind of by default of being at home with us she would make our clothes and i Sick. at the time i hated it like having to wear homemade clothes because yeah, it going to school in the stitch together potato sacks yeah it is uh rice rice blankets and stuff <laughs> like I felt like uh, it, it was easy to get called out pretty quick as like the poor kid when you, <laughs> everyone knew you made your mom made your clothes and stuff. Uh, but I appreciate it now for sure. I think it's it's pretty cool. But as a kid, it was really, uh, you know, you're kind of dumb when you're a little kid, and you know, I was I was pretty embarrassed. But yeah, my mom was uh, mostly stay at home and then uh, seamstress, and then um, my dad, he's uh, he's 90th generation Hawaiian <laughs> from here since the. <laughs> first the first of them uh he's really knowledgeable about hawaiian things are uh he didn't, he didn't have any like uh normal jobs i can't remember my dad ever really having a a, a job uh but he just has always been so smart about things like his, his idea of the world was a very old way of looking at it. Mm. And I think it was very in line with the way the Hawaiian culture uh, continues to be from a traditional standpoint. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. These guys who are like fully connected to the ancient ways and no matter what happens in the modern world, they, they stay connected. What were some of the, the tenets that he passed down to you or, or, or that you were raised with? Yeah, my dad was a big... Uh, advocate of education mm. and he he really put that as a a key value for us uh and he wasn't discriminatory of where education came from he he said there's hawaiian value and then there's uh he, he would say western but knowing that's i mean even that concept of trying to say, oh, the West, the Westerners and all that, it's like, it's a circle, you know, it's a big sphere. So it's like, eventually you get East and then, you know, if you keep turning around, you're North and South. So I don't really know if that's the best descriptor, but you know, it's what's found here and what's found elsewhere. That to me was passed down by my dad and to that, you know, education is for everyone. School may not be, but education is. And wherever you got to find it, it's uh, important to make sure you get it. Mm, that's interesting. It reminds me a bit of the philosophy of the Buddhists, you know, the Tibetan Buddhists who, again, like, uh, you know, have their ancient ways. They're very much intact. They've uh, had to flee their homeland to keep them intact. And then they've really connected with modern science. And science is proving that their ancient techniques of health, wellness, neuroplasticity, whatever, are fully legitimate and thousands of years ahead of their time. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation because I I sit in these uh, different communities uh, sometimes and and sometimes it, I I don't know sometimes I don't know what what my community really is because uh, I float between a, a few different ones 
but one of the communities that I, I definitely participate in conversation with is this community of uh, educating the world from an indigenous Hawaiian perspective. And a lot of these uh, people in this community have their PhDs, they're educators, they have their MDs, law degrees. They, it's uh, the native Hawaiian who went and got some higher learning in institution, an in institutionalized education, and they found success. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them don't like to say that uh, modern science is proving or it's validating. Uh, I think it, it rubs them the long way. I understand um, what that what that expression is intention behind it, uh, but they're sticklers a lot of times, and mm -hmm. they're they're saying, ah, we we're not validating. We're not. We don't need validation from quote unquote modern science, and uh, I think they they like to use the word conventional or institutionalized or industrial uh, science. That's kind of their, their way of talking about it. Um, which is, I mean, as a society, global society, I think it's like the Pfizer and the Advil, I guess, sort of uh, education that they talk about versus I think they want, you know, they want to have a more holistic and regenerative sort of way to talk about science and and things like that but yeah I, I don't even know where i was going with that honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the nature of these things uh yeah so i mean where have you noticed that these two knowledge systems have intersected oh yeah ancient yeah. hawaiian ways modern science yeah yeah that oh yeah so that's what this idea of ancient ancient ways and modern science yeah, um, let's say modern hawaiian way i mean look it's just knowledge is knowledge. yeah it's yeah old on you it, it yeah. survives because it's fucking legitimate and relevant. Yeah, but but I wonder if people really feel that. You know, I wonder if people really feel that. Because I, I think today's society, we're kind of told like new is better, old is worse. Hmm. And, but we know there's value. Like, I, I don't know. It's, um, we were just talking about earlier. It's kind of, we were talking about certain places in the world and surfing it's like oh it's like they're back in the 70s and they, they don't know how to pull in deep because no one's ever done it before and you know but the 70s also had some really valuable moments and contributions in surfing that people are kind of trying to uh, replicate and emulate today mm. so this idea of old and new and what's more valuable or what's not that's something that's it's in a weird way it's ingrained in us even to me sometimes i get caught thinking What's new technology? What's more valuable? What's the future like? Uh, but knowing from a ancestral standpoint, uh, we have a saying that the the f in the future there's the past, and we have to experience it in the present. Uh, so what's that like when we talk about ancient ways and modern science as a Hawaiian and things like that? I don't, I don't know. It, it's a hard conversation when I think about it because. I'm just a Hawaiian and I experience my history the same way. Like I think about my history and I value that history just as much. I value trying to be relevant in the future. Mm. So past and present and future for me, it's like a blurry mm. kind of a blur. And that's why I, just on like a, I guess a more simplified expression in surfing. That's why I, I love 
the timeline of surfing. I love wooden boards. I love single fins. I love quads. You know, I, I, as weird as it sounds, I, I don't really do foiling myself. I, I'm not very good at it, but I do even enjoy watching uh, people do foiling over reef mm. and just the, how it looks um, on like shallow water and super clear and you can see the reef. And from a visual standpoint, it's so stimulating to me. I don't know why when I see foilers mm. going over these reefs, like doing the tricks and all that big wave on the foil, I'm not very interested in it as much, but ve- I'm super interested when I see like Keahi, Diabuitz, uh, oh. and uh, Matahi, and Lorenzo, and all that. They're going over these reef passes, and you can see them just, you know, that foil is just inches and centimeters away from the coral, and they're just making it through. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I, yeah. I love all the different parts of the, the time. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, like, when it comes to surfing, it's a good metaphor, the 1970s versus now with surfing, right? It's like, um, yeah, uh, you've got guys now who get incredibly deep in the tube and that's considered the, the holy grail of surfing and you'll have guys who empty their bank accounts traveling the world trying to get this experience over and over again. Whereas, you know, in the 70s, it was very different. You look at, you know, say Australians that came here or, um, you know, whoever was traveling the world, like you didn't strike you would go somewhere with like a fucking one or two board quiver and you were there for two months. Yeah. And so as an overall holistic experience, uh, there's a, you know, a, an argument that surfing was more valid in the 70s when guys were just getting pocket rides and like, you know, kind of in the deeply pitted, but nowhere near to the level we are now. But yeah, just surfing is a holistic experience. Like that, that's, uh, you know, that's something that, is underrated uh is just getting the most from surfing and being here in the islands it's been fascinating for me uh to watch how just at akai and you know like pipe and backdoor will be cooking right like fuck i don't know four to six foot or whatever and, and barreling and then down the beach you got beach park it's the weekend you got the all the native hawaiians like in their pickups um bodyboarding body surfing uh they're coming in they're, they're having a shower they're like fizzing with this energy from the ocean and they're like i was tripping on it i was like whoa look at these guys like they're they're giving thanks at the showers you know like these like really uh obvious and um you know verbose expressions of gratitude and appreciation and uh, like going yeah how good is this we're here together like we're, we're surfing these waves and i'm like yeah like these guys are actually the purest incarnation of like that elite that like uh, uh, the hawaiian connection to the ocean and we may have actually poisoned it with all these this hierarchy and like oh these are the kinds of waves you have to surf to be cool and do yeah. these moves and ride these boards yeah and i'm looking at these guys i'm like no these this is the roots yeah and then you know, and that appreciation, that energy, like they're super friendly to me. They're going, yeah, brother, like shower's all yours, like have a good day. And then they're over at the pickup smoking the thickest Rizla packed with Pakalolo blended, <laughs> the crack at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was like, I was really inspired by that. And it's not the, uh, it's not the kind of the idea you have of Hawaii a lot of the time. That, yeah. That, that like, but they're, they're to me, like the core, the roots of the surf culture in a, a weird way. They're, probably who knows where they're from i don't think they're from they're not living in beachfront properties no, apart no, i can tell you that not. much but 
man, it, it was inspiring. Yeah, this this place here on the North Shore, it's uh, interesting. It's an interesting place. Um, it's almost like uh, sometimes I wonder if people think history started when people identified Sunset and Pipeline and Waimea. Like that, in people's idea of timeline, oh, that's all that matters. The, you know, 1930s, then fast forward because no one was getting barreled and then Peck came in and he, he was the one who showed everyone how to get barreled and then you got, you know, these other people that are coming in, Jerry, and then, you know, then there was like the busting down the doors and rabbit got pounded and, and all that other stuff and then now the hawaiians that the hui came and that's another part of the time and you're fast forward there's just revolutions of that where you have wolf pack and you know pipeline posse Braden diaz and you know it's just it moves into now like sometimes i wonder where are we now what does what's going to be written in this history line at this date and time when we have I don't know. There, it seems like a lot more accessible for people from far away to access the resources here. A lot harder for people from here to access those same resources. Uh, it, it's an interesting timeline to think about. And I wonder if people forget that prior to 1930, this place had a thousand, two thousand year history mm. of surfing. Mm. I was just talking about, I was down at Sunset Beach. They have the contest right now. And I was talking about the story of uh, Kahikilani, a chief from Kauai who used to sail his canoe all the way to Paumalu, Sunset Beach. And he would shred that wave. It's not like, I even hear people say things like, oh, and like people were just going straight as a thing. And, and people think on the wooden boards, it's like, again, this idea of old and outdated and they weren't doing anything on the wave. We have songs and chants about going parallel to the wave, then perpendicular, hmm. moving to the front of the nose on the board to the back. And we called it that. We called it the beak. We called it the tail. Like hmm. We talked about perpendicular and slanting and angles and dancing on the wave. We have stories of people surfing this one wave on my island and only breaks when it's 12 to 15 foot. Like whatever, whatever. I don't know what the faces are on that, but huge like these are that's what white male was you know yesterday you know like and these guys were surfing it and women were surfing it without fins on wooden boards like that's the stories that existed before 1930 but there's a narrative that i think has been appropriated and prescribed to the world that pre-contact surfing was sterile and once it was introduced to the world, the world modified it, modernized it, and improved its value. When it's like, they definitely changed it, but that doesn't mean it's any better. Like air reverses were a huge thing in the early 2000s. Everyone was like, fucking air 360, air reverse, whatever. And now everyone, like you get laughed at if you start doing that stuff a lot of the times. Mm. And it's, uh, it's kind of a, it's interesting where, I don't know, where, where is that history from Hawaii that is being celebrated through our partnerships across the world? Because it seems like it's just, Duke, the big kahuna gave me the mana. And now I'm, I got christened, I'm legit, and I'm going to do my thing and sell a bunch of hang loose 
stickers or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. It's, I don't want to seem like a hater or whatever, because I appreciate surfing across the world. Uh, but again, I, I wonder when I come here on the North shore and I don't see people that look like me. Well, now, since I'm like, you know, mixed breed, I probably like look like a Brazilian or something. So there are other mixed breeds of people here that we all look kind of like a big melting pot now, but from, from a Hawaiian standpoint, I, someone was asking me just in the sunset contest, they're like, oh, so who are the Hawaiians in the contest? And now I'm put in this weird situation. It's like, is John John Hawaiian? Mm. What do I say? You know, I don't want to disrespect him because he's, he's radical and he's cool. And he has, he actually is, uh, I would say, a, an ally, a strong ally within the native Hawaiian community. But would I call him a Hawaiian personally? No. That he, I would call him a, a local boy mm. for sure. Um, but this idea of when people ask, like, who's the Hawaiians in the contest? I'm like, I don't know. Keanu, a sing as a wild card. And Sethi boy. Like, I don't, I don't know. And then I get put in this weird situation where they're all like, well, what, what about Baron? What about Kai, Lenny? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what their ancestral connection is to this land. Mm. And I'm going to call them out like, oh, that's a fucking haole, brown skin haole. You know, I'm, I don't want to be that guy. Or I don't know. There's There still exists that. Even though surfing uh, maybe has moved on, you know, there's some, I've heard some conversations from other, uh, what, what, what would this be called? Like when you talk about surfing, like podcasts and stuff like yeah. uh there's people that sit around and talk about surfing yeah right there's a crew there's you there's some other people do they do podcasts uh -huh. they do commentating yeah. you know narratives uh broadcasting mm -mm. there's people that sit around talk about surfing in a small room like how we're sitting we're, we're outside doing this thing and you know outside your tent but there's people out there that they have a, a small community they say some things, then they broadcast it out to the world. Mm. And there's someone far away listening that maybe doesn't have access to that information. Through technology, we're able to be like, oh, I heard on this podcast. I heard on this broadcast. I heard here. I heard there. Must be true. But there, when you... Right now, we can say whatever we want, and there's no one here checking us. Mm. There's no one saying, nah, Cliff, you're wrong. This medium, yeah. 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 Oh, it's such an interesting question. It's, uh, man, it, it's an awkward one. It, it, it's hard. Like, Hawaii has this super radical history of colonization, capitalism, and, you know, as so often is the case when places get colonized and then commodified and capitalized the native people end up on the very bottom floor of that class system and hawaii is no different it's happened all over the world like generally um your native hawaiians aren't the the big landowners and the, the corporation owners um and and so therefore there is like a, a pretty different lived-in experience of, of you know the native hawaiians and the rusted out pickups on the bodyboards probably driving over from the west side or somewhere i don't know and <clears throat> versus you know the offspring of americans uh, uh whatever other you know a lot of brazilians here too who were raised with with money and privileges and um yeah so like <laughs> of course they're hawaiian 
in one sense, it's written on their, their birth certificate, but... But I don't think they, it is. Yeah. That's what I... That's what... I don't know anyone who doesn't have... Personally, and I, and I could be the one under the rock here. Uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't have Aboriginal bloodline that has put Hawaiian on their birth certificate. Because mm. Hawaiian here means something more. Huh. And that's what I don't think... And that's what I... I don't understand why the institutions within surfing, you know, core lords and legends, they can have their perspective for sure. Mm. I was in England, south of England one time, and I was hearing some of these guys talking some some shit about certain people in the world. And I was like, well, whatever. You, you got problems with certain people because of the color of their skin or what they ride or, you know, who they fuck. That's your trip. Whatever. Like, you're from here. You're the local big dog legend. That's fine. But if they have a perspective that they're pushing out in their little zone, okay, by all means, that's your, your right. But when I see institutions out there pushing these uh, narratives like Hawaiian, when, when we know, we know here that Hawaiian means something here. Mm. It means a lot. It means a lot of good things and it means a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And are you willing to carry all of that? That's the question. And I, the people who know that, I don't know anyone who carries both. That mm -hmm. is not of Aboriginal blood. That claims Hawaiian, that claims not only the title of the benefits, but also of the trauma that doesn't have ancestral lineage prior to the arrival of the outside it's such a good point man it really is like the trauma uh of like intergenerational trauma being passed down through the lines um due to yeah the original sin of, of massacre and, and genocide and all that stuff like it, it doesn't go away overnight well the violence comes in i think in the with the inability to articulate that trauma and the frustration that comes along with that so I and the think. lack of access to curing that trauma uh, because of the the cash flow problems of being on the bottom floor of uh, capitalism like it's you know you can cure trauma but it takes time effort and resources i mean time and, and money are kind of the same thing if you don't have money you probably don't have the time to cure your trauma so you just eating the, the, and the cost of living so high here, so you're, you know, you're addicted to sugar and stuff. We see the same patterns in Australia, obviously, yeah. with our Indigenous population. And I mean, there's a very big difference between being Indigenous in Australia uh, and Australian, you know what I mean? Well, no, someone, no one's confusing those two. Because someone could argue Indigenous, in, Indigenous means that you are connected to a certain space. So there, you can get the technicalities and you can start saying, oh, I guess you are like an indigenous population that existed X amount of years that potentially has evolved in a space or, or whatever. But you folks know in Australia, you talk indigenous, you, there's, that's a whole nother conversation. In Hawaii, the same thing about being called a Hawaiian. It's, it's very, I don't say it's similar, but there are, I think, are hints of, there's a lot more to unpack and when you have surfing institution calling people who we consider non-Hawaiians Hawaiians, it it makes, I'll just speak for myself, it makes me feel a certain way. Mm. It makes me feel a certain way when arguably the greatest athlete to come out of Hawaii of our time so happens to be a surfer, a native Hawaiian woman, 
who has to continue to be at the highest echelon of competitive surfing as an American who is a native person, Kanaka Maoli, you know, and that the onus has to be put on her to choose to be called either American or Hawaiian and that they are mutually exclusive. I think that's a, a bummer that we're 2024 having to put people in those situations where for me, I do not consider myself an American. I am a Hawaiian who has a killer U.S. citizenship that I appreciate big time. You know, when I'm deep in the world and I bust out that blue little book and I get the frontline access, I appreciate that thing. And I appreciate that the United States provided me citizenship. Uh, I, I wish that the world, I would hope that the world can respect that when I consider my nationality I was born and raised 2,500 miles from the nearest America. It's you know? crazy how far we are from America. <laughs> and yet you still see American flags flying, which makes me feel pretty uncomfortable, i got to say. Uh, I don't know. It, a lot, it's like a real flag, flag-happy place, Hawaii, and people are repping their allegiances proudly. But, man, it's um, it's a weird one, like these kind, this kind of colonial mindsets jamming you you. yeah they can rep their set whoever wants to whatever they want to do like that like to me that's freedom yeah i'm like hey there's negatives and positives in in a lot of different countries and and i don't know what it would be like it if we didn't have an illegal occupation going on or an illegal overthrow here in hawaii i don't know there's probably benefits and uh, negatives that were happening in the hawaiian kingdom um if we were allowed to do that too what I, I'm just, what I try to say is I appreciate my U.S. passport mm. big time. And I, what does that cost to me? Um, I, I think I know it costs a lot. It costs a lot for that country to provide me access to a lot of those privileges. And mm. I, I appreciate that. Uh, it costs a lot for us also to have the United States presence here. And I'm just saying, hey, look, we're just, as long as we understand that we're different and we appreciate each other's company, we we can at least get along and coexist. Mm. I'm not trying to be an American. I'm not trying to make anyone else, like, I'm not trying to have that conversation about John John's a Hoyne or he's not. Like, that's not my place. I think John John is a good person. That's what I care about. When he gets called Hawaiian by a contest, that's bringing up issues with my community that I identify with. That's why I have a problem with it. And that's what I think the, the ownership and the accountability is one on those institutions that continue to perpetuate those false narratives. And second, the global surf community to understand that there's a deeper history and the timeline we started with extends prior 1900s and as long as we just understand that and and guess give a bit of respect to that it's all good like that's i think all i can hope to ask of from people yeah and you're dead right like uh you know what would hawaii be like without american influence like you know there's 
we, we often romanticize indigenous culture. There's, there's often downsides. I mean, like for women, for the class system, it's interesting talking about, you know, elite, you hope I'm getting the pronunciation right, but, you know, that's essentially um, the, the royals, right? The the elite cast, and, and they were really the, the ones who had access to surfing, right? Commoners, not so well, much. Well, that, that's another misconception that surfing is for everyone. They say, so we might be going down the... Uh, seemingly conspiracy theory here but in a colonializing situation the colonizer will try to find those pillars of an identity and it's interesting to see surfing actually was one of the main pillars that they banned and they tried to hmm. take from these people because it gave them a sense of equality and of identity uh, our best surfers in our culture were women in our histories. You know, they, they were the ones that there was, there's, there is stories and there are stories still being told in our native tongue about a woman surfer who went and smashed all these guys in competition and they had to die. Like the stakes on it were like longest wave, loser dies. And guys were getting murdered. Like literally all these chiefs and all of them turned into stone. If you know, there's a lot of stories about, um, chiefly men getting turned into stone by this woman and a lot of her her tactic was let's just do a surf competition longest wave wins and they were well-known surfers like these crazy surfers um like kahikili uh, uh sorry uh kahikilani from Kauai in sunset beach he got turned into stone there's a rock up there on the mountain at sunset beach that's kahikilani up there that a woman turned into stone killer surfer you know wow. so like this idea that surfing was only for the kings that, that's all just weird too to say like oh it's only a king sport dudes with power you know they, they say that narrative and then another one hawaiians used to do this you know i just i was just sent by a good friend of mine uh from the big island from kona but now he lives maui now he's maui he's maui guy now or whatever but tori meister sends me a uh he sends me a, a Instagram post and he says there's a person on there that is talking about our uh, traditional form of wave sliding on these wooden boards. And this influencer was talking about, oh, it's so difficult. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm trying to surf these boards and these guys used to, these Hawaiians thousands of years ago used to surf these things and yeah, they, they they were really good back in the day. And it just had a, a weird narrative that that thing's old. Hoynes did it. Now I'm an influencer and I'm going to show you guys this. I'm going to unearth this idea. I'm going to show you how hard it is. I'm going to kind of throw some like compliment to the guys of long ago, but they're not around anymore. And I'm going to tow around on my jet ski out here on this thing and, and get some clicks and I don't know, it just, it, it made me feel like, dude, fuck off. We still do this. We, oh. st we still make these boards and we still ride it. And you just suck at surfing. Like, don't, don't put us as a past. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't say that he sucks at surfing because I don't know this person. I just, it, again, it brings up of course. these feelings of like, it's trivializing your culture. Yeah, and it's, it's like it's up. gone. It's a lost culture. Oh. You know, it's like, that's not true. We still do this. We still do this today. 
and that idea that it's only for the kings and queens or it's only for the kings. It's something from the past. That's not even the right lyrics to the song. Mm. The song is surfing's for everybody. Surfing is supposed to connect you to the natural world on an insanely molecular level. That's what surfing does. And that's what we believe as Hawaiian people, that when you enter into that space, you are now connecting with an energy source that came from beyond what's in front of us. And that connects us across the world. That's what surfing is. And that's what we want to push forward, I would say. Yet, it's been appropriated in a way where, no, it's exclusive. No, it's the Duke gave it to me. No, it's only for the kings. And oh no, oh those guys, they don't surf these things. They they are the past. Oh, Hawaiians, yeah, they beat you up. Nah, they're they're angry. They they got issues. Or oh no, they don't surf with modern technology. And that narrative, when you put it out there, that's where when it's not the real situation that's what i wonder is is that intentional maybe this influencer just doesn't know and he's ignorant and and i would hope so that's what i hope because mm. if he's he understands that that's a false narrative that he's pushing forward then it seems like there's another intention that how can you can't trust those people you know mm. this idea that surfing connects us uh, across the world and that we are tapping into this deep Gaian source energy, whatever you want to call it, uh, is actually something that you proved in science. You, you talk about the, you know, I was talking about the Tibetan Buddhists getting fMRI scans for their meditation practices, showing how their brains light up. You've you've done this in, in a surfing sense, like you proved that uh, the microbiomes of surfers actually share something in common. I was fucking had my mind blown when I wrapped my head around this. Yeah. This was some crazy shit, man. It, it, yeah. It's like those guys down at Beach Park, like what they're fizzing with. I was fizzing with that yeah, same thing. Dude. And what that thing inside them is, is I guess what Hawaiians have called aloha for 90 generations. Or, <laughs> or, or maybe there's a, a different word for yeah. it in the language. Yeah. But, but this is what I'm trying to get at. This is why you're such an important figure because you are connecting ancient and modern ways in a way that the West can respect and understand until we see it proven in the data and, and borne out in the numbers. Yeah. But can you talk us through this, um, this uh, amazing study that you did and what it found? Yeah, when you were, when you were talking about this idea of communicating these ideas about, I guess... Uh, more ancestral perspectives and things like that. I, I think that's what science does for me. For me, science is like this ability to communicate my teachings that were given to me with like broader audiences across the world. And that's the power of science. I'm, I'm actually not a great scientist. I, I, I didn't get great grades going to school and things like that. I just seen the power of science that when you show people numbers and empirical evidences, evidence, you can uh, have a, a more relatable conversation. And that's what science was for me. And it continues to be. And how that manifested into this study, it was called the Surfer Biome Project. But what the Surfer Biome Project did was uh, look at our, 
our bodies as these kind of bags of microbiomes where 99% of the genetic material that's found in and on your body actually comes from microbes like bacteria or fungus, protists, viruses even. So, and I think the world has kind of adopted <clears throat> that perspective. I think it's a pretty accepted, widely accepted mm. idea. It's It's been commercialized and society thinks these, oh, microbiome and kombucha and fermentation and your gut health and you know, things like that. So back in 2000 and... It's so profound. Like the microbiome, like that's one of the, the great uh, improvements in our understanding of wellness that's come up is, is that the gut is where all the serotonin is created. It's where, you know, it's the one thing that gets destroyed by cortisol, the stress hormone that comes from trauma. And then, you, you know, applying it to what we see here, you see a lot of you know, native Hawaiians addicted to sugar and processed foods, same at home and, and white people as well, obviously. And uh, then the pharmaceuticals come in on top of the processed foods. It's like the classical capitalist trap of trauma, shit food. Oh, and we've got the solution in the form of this pill and, and people just fucking like a zombie through life. Yeah. Uh, and, and our understanding of, of microbiomes is so important now to kind of peeling back those layers of toxicity uh, and... Yeah, sorry, carry on. But yeah, just to, to, to go a bit further and, and talk about gut health, it's something that I, I read about and listen to podcasts a lot about. Yeah, the, the, gut is, the gut is a place where you can take things from the outside and let it sit in you hmm. for a while. So it's kind of that intermediate, the interface between what you surround yourself with and what you consume and inside of your body. So it's, it's an important, the gut is a super important uh, area within the body. Uh, you also have different microbiomes within your eyes and your nose and your ears and, and different places uh, throughout your intestines and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely the microbiome of your gut, uh, again, it's that place where the outside comes inside. So it's, it's, you need to have a pretty solid defense system you need to have the right community members there uh, just to ensure your survival i studied the skin when i did this project the surfer microbiome project back in 2016 uh the 2010s to like 2020s i'll say that 10 year that decade people were really starting to get microbiome research funded in hmm. the u.s like federally funded initiatives uh, and I was kind of on the tail end maybe of, of that with my microbiome research. I was in a lab that studied how the bacteria and the molecules that are found in and on your body communicate. They were trying to figure out, okay, if you got all these different types of skin bacteria on you, um, that's native. It's like your native uh, community, the indigenous microbes that exist on your face. You got a bunch of acne. Does your community, can you change your community and change your overall skin health? Um, do you have less stress, you know, off your skin and things like that? So uh, psoriasis, cystic fibrosis was another uh, topic we looked at. So for me, I was just getting exposed to all these kind of medical conditions of how the microbiome had an effect on the overall health. And I particularly studied how the bacteria would communicate with each other because bacteria communicate through molecules through chemistry because they don't re they they don't really um 
I mean, they don't have like a lot of them are non-mobile. So you just have these things that just exist on a space. They send out all these chemicals around them to either get more of them, their friends, or get their enemies away from them. So I was learning all these tools about, okay, how, how to identify molecules and bacteria on different places. I chose skin. I, I did gut too, uh, but the butt you worked with, I mean, you worked with a lot of butt when you worked with the gut. <laughs> so I, I, I was pretty over having to deal with shit samples, so I didn't get too <laughs> deep in that part of the study. Didn't uh, get too deep in the shit, fair enough. Yeah. So I did skin, which was actually a lot easier because the skin is your largest organ. And it is arguably another really important organ and space on your body because you have the contact of the outside. It's like your barrier. So I went around and I I kind of wanted just to get a surf trip around the world. So I figured out that no better way than to write a science proposal that somehow got funded by the Global Health Institute at University of California, uh, San Diego at the time. And I, uh, I said, I'm going to go around the world and I'm going to sample the skin of all these people who go into the ocean. And I'm going to see if there is some sort of commonality between these ocean goers as the ocean might be leaving a signature on us that I don't know what, what the benefit of that is right now, but I think it's important. And I think the tools that I was using, the technology, it made people get curious about it. So in that I was funded and it sent me on a trip to mm. uh, Europe. I went to England, Iceland, Ireland, uh, then I came back, I did the States, uh, and then back home in Hawaii. And when we did the whole project, we found that the skin of surfers actually are colonized, at least through like DNA sequencing. It shows that the skin of these surfers get colonized by a certain ocean bacteria, uh, no matter if they're in the Atlantic or the Pacific. And it's the relationship is what they call a dose-dependent response, meaning the more you go out into the ocean, the more of this bacteria you're going to see on your skin um which does that bacteria help you does it hurt you i don't i, I don't know and i never actually did any follow-up mm. studies on that uh, that's that's the first question people are like oh so is it good or is it bad yeah i don't know but i do know is that a surfer in hawaii has that same sort of bacteria colonizing their skin as someone in morocco hmm and to me, that, that just seems pretty cool. And when you take kind of an unbiased approach at looking at buying all the different types of bacteria and all the different sort of molecules that exist uh, in your microbiome, in your molecular biome, the metabolome, you're more similar as a surfer to another surfer across the planet than potentially someone who lives in your apartment who doesn't surf at all. Hmm. So just by redefining the way we identify as humans we can see that the ocean has a significant impact on who is more similar to us and the relationships that we have on a molecular level. And to me, that's what the Hawaiian perspective of surfing is. It's the ocean can fundamentally change us. It, how, how can I express that in a way that is not just like uh, mystical? Well, it changes your DNA. Like that's basically <laughs> wow. what this study has shown. That 99% of the DNA that exists on your body, it gets changed when you go to the ocean as a surfer. And I mean, that, that's probably why 
gave me the the most gratitude is that it was connected to a Hawaiian story. Yeah. It wasn't like I invented this. I didn't like people were like, oh like so like are you some kind of like science discovered prize winner? That's an old that's like a rerun that I just put into the like a, a different TV channel that now people are going off on like I didn't even make this story up. This was made way before me, you know. That's the raddest thing about it, man. It, it, it's mind-blowing. And you can extrapolate it in so many different ways, those findings. Like, obviously, the data won't be there to support it. But anyone who spends a good amount of time surfing knows that this is true. And you even see it, like, you know, surfers from elite surfers uh, or, or skilled watermen from different parts of the globe have a connection with people of a similar standing wherever they go, you know. And you see these kind of... Um, you know, I don't want to use the word hierarchy, but it kind of is. You see these hierarchies develop. There's just a language and a connection and an understanding both of the waterman uh, skill set, but also like potentially on a deeper level, like on a molecular level, they're actually vibrating at a similar frequency. I mean, I, I, in Australia, we have like uh, a bit of a, a, a problem with sharks. Um, you know, it, it's ongoing. And, and right now in, in a stretch of coast, we have some friends, they're going through a a bad patch um and i think about that sometimes like it's probably a controversial thing to say and it's, it's just a, a wacky theory but it's like uh, uh, like my friends down there they they commit to these waves they spend their lives in in these waves and and they don't get eaten but then people who have spent a mm. lot less time in the ocean mm. at these spots are, are getting eaten so that statistically they're more at risk but mm. they're not getting affected it's mm. it's you know people who are more like um yeah like touristy or uh you know like newer to the game and, mm -hmm. and you saying that like the more you spend in the water the more time that the, the more it, it changes the yeah changes the molecular composition that's crazy and, and do the, these, yeah. yeah and do these animals also understand this who knows it's possible i mean we know that they're we, we watch sharks now with drone footage all the time just blow straight past people you know like yeah. you fucking come with like we saw it at J-Bay, uh, that Nate Florence drone clip was psycho. Uh, that huge white going up the point there pretty much sniffed Rio wider and, and bailed. Yeah. And it's one of them things. It's like, yeah, I mean, this kid is elite. He spends so much time in the ocean. Um, yeah, why does a shark not go him and go someone else? Anyway, but... I just love where my brain goes when when I hear stuff yeah. like this. Yeah, it, it's articulated in data something that, like you said, has been understood in Hawaiian culture for fucking ninety generations. Yeah. Uh, more recently in, in in kind of Western culture, hmm. it's amazing. Well, that, it's even it's not just it's that connects us to other people around the world. But when I did a deep dive into the the bacteria that was the one driving kind of the most similarity. Uh, across the world this sort this uh this ocean bacteria it's not like a, a a type of bacteria that's just found everywhere like you jump in the ocean it's, you're gonna dip on it you're gonna dip in the ocean and you're gonna get this bacteria on you that's not how how really it is there's certain surface bacteria that you get exposed to every time you jump in that um uh, you would be like, oh, that's just from getting close to the ocean or getting it on. These are actual kind of specific sort of uh, bacteria. And one of their evolutionary adaptation is that they make ice 
they they freeze water at a higher temperature. They're called ice nucleating bacteria, hmm. kind of like uh, that Mortal Kombat character that can make ice. And how these bacteria, their evolutionary adaptation is, you know, if they they go on a plant surface or something, you know, and it's uh, they want to get inside. They can freeze and put some frost maybe on top of the skin so it can break that tissue and they can get inside perhaps, huh. you know. So they, they're like the, uh, the Iceman of the bacteria world. And that's the sort of family that this bacteria is colonizing the human skin. But another species of animal that also gets this is uh, a whale and seals as, as well. So you start looking at these marine mammals mm. are also colonized by these sort of bacteria in the ocean. So not only does it uh, think you start thinking, oh, I share a specific sort of ocean bacteria with another surfer, the more I surf, but I'm sharing it with whales and seals and dolphins. And it's funny, I think um, like the inertia did some sort of like, or no, it was a stab or I forget what happened. But someone was trolling someone where it got put on somewhere saying like, oh, humans are like connected to dolphins or, or something. This happened like three years before. And it was kind of like trying to take the piss out of uh, poor journalism or something. It was like this funny, uh, like, I think it was stab and inertia that happened. And uh, it was about humans and dolphins and molecularly similar and changing. Or it was some like phony article that they wanted to expose journalism and they, they put under. But then, you know, four years later, now you have some scientific evidence that actually shows like <laughs> there is some sort of molecular connection between humans and marine mammals through their microbiomes uh so yeah it just it, to me it, it's a cool way to think more about our our place in the universe our connection to the natural world and that surfing is kind of the reason for it that makes me feel good and that's kind of this idea of what does it mean to be modern mm. that that i would say it's a nice story about how anyone can understand scientific question inquiry data and culture to know that there's a connection in the modern world to nature oh man and that connection to the modern world in nature is the single biggest lacking factor in the the, the consumer capitalist matrix that most of us in the west inhabit and uh, it is the single most profound factor in almost any indigenous culture, all of them, that I've ever learned about is that connection with nature and the understanding that uh, humans are a part of this cycle and there are uh, like all these different ways of connecting with nature and seasons and birds and plants and like it's a remarkable world to inhabit uh, and it's such a shame that those of us who grow up in this capitalist reality lose that. But again, like you're showing us that in the science that this, this phenomenon exists and you can't underplay the, the significance of that. Like that is a saving grace. That's what's, mo I mean, that to me is modern. Mm. It's modern to know that I have a direct connection to the natural world and I have to pay attention to that. Because if I don't, then I'm going to be history. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's so good. And man, obviously you fucking rip on 
any number of crafts. Talk to us about your, your quiver, like the most important boards to you, you know, yeah. your, your most cherished boards of all time and, and, and what each of them kind of brings to your surfing experience. Yeah, my, probably my most treasured board are, are my traditional wooden, wooden boards that I, I've helped shape or have been shaped for me. That just, it, it just, I'm, I don't even know if I'm ripping on them at all. I just, I just love to feel them and hold them. And it gives me kind of like a, it's a familial f- sort of feeling that I get. I don't know, I just, it makes me feel really good. It makes me feel uh, important, I guess. Not even just holding it. I feel something, you know, and, and that to me, that's what surfing is about. So I, I really cherish my, my traditional wooden uh, boards uh, and, you know, outside of those, I, I'm really just trying to find boards that can allow me to have uninterrupted flow with that energy. And sometimes it's, you know, a 1010 glider. Sometimes it's a, a little twin fin, you know, 5-2. And being able to explore different boards in a way that I, I feel not judged in a sense. And I think that's cool about surfing now. There's, uh, there's space for that all crafts or, or whatever and then then there's like shortboard culture and and to me I don't I don't like to separate all that sometimes I I actually do enjoy riding a 62 squash thruster like I I I enjoy surfing that board sometimes uh sometimes I enjoy riding asims sometimes I like step ups and you know bigger boards for taller waves like to me being able to know that uh, I, I guess I'm fortunate now to have kind of a, a quiver and a stable of quite a few boards that I can match to a condition. The whole quiver is is important to mm-hmm. me. I think not so much the board as much as, you know, the, the sum is greater, you know, or the sum, what, what, I don't even know what that word is. But yeah, I know the saying, the sum is greater than the parts or something yeah yeah the whole i mean collectively the quiver is valuable Mm. and if i just take one board out of it then it diminishes the everyone all the other boards in Mm. there too because now if i take away that six five twin then i'm gonna have to force another board to surf in those conditions that that board was made for going to make that other you know six oh have to work harder to get into the wave or it's going to make a seven five that much clunkier on the face and i'm going to hate those boards more now because they're not the right tool for the wave so for me every board not only is beneficial for the wave but it helps the the quiver as a whole to kind of be worth more now i have to take the pressure off of like oh it's head high but really fat i have a board for that so i don't have to put that burden on my six two thruster you know, it's like you're you're working collectively within your quiver to make every like you love your quiver like ah, yeah. oh, and I'm I'm still trying to find my my magic quiver, um, but it it's through a a lot of different shapes and shapers and friends. And one of the things that's often lost on people uh, when they're not from Hawaii or haven't spent a lot of time here is, you know, in the media it's all about the seven mile miracle. It's all about pipe backdoor sunset even Halle Eve to a lesser extent, but Hawaii has a crazy variety of waves. Like everything from your, your, your 
psycho gurgly boog slab. Um, you know, and I'm not going to be specific here with islands or any of that stuff, but talk to us about the variety of waves that you grew up in. Like, <laughs> what are the extremes of the surfing experience here in the islands? Yeah, my island where I grew up, there's uh, there's like the fun watering hole that everyone surfs together, and it's it's relatively accessible. And then you have fifty maybe waves along the coast that maybe you could surf it, maybe you can't. Just physically, uh, it, it, they're difficult waves to to surf, and and they're not easy. They're technically difficult to get to they're isolated and they're remote so there's there's a a big spectrum and my island is the youngest island uh geomorphologically so it's the it's the least groomed it's the most exposed to elements mm. so we have you know amazing entries into terrifying exits or vice versa where it's so hard to get into but once you're in you're you're golden so my island is like that and as you move up the chain to more older islands, you're getting more perfect waves up the, the island chain. That, that's just, wow. if you think about the reef structures and the conditions and over time, uh, they have more time of being pounded and, and kind of working together, co-evolving into a, a seemingly, the, the energy is displaced in a more even nature. So, you know, people are keeping it a certain way up towards the older islands and the newer island people are more maybe liberal with showing people waves and surfing with people because they're not that great yet maybe mm. in two million years some <laughs> of these waves will be a bit more perfect you know but i mean that's why oahu the north shore this miracle it's ge geologically speaking it's it's relatively older much older than the other islands um and it's been groomed by millennia of offshore winds and prevailing swell from the opposite direction of those winds so you, you that'll happen eventually the other waves you know but it's just going to take a long time wow that's such a profound way of looking at it and it explains so much about many of our most favorite surfing locations all over the world i'm, I'm thinking now of places like indonesia which are unbelievably groomed ancient and i guess that's even when it was those uh, land masses were joined it was probably still exposed to, to that swell and even yeah. the tropics like you think about as the energy sources they travel and you got the fetch you got that long uh space for things to get organized and consolidate swells you know though some of if you have a a nice runway for things to figure themselves out before it hits a reef or it hits a beach you're going to get higher potential for better wave quality. And that's why the tropics are usually sought out because when the storms are on either hemisphere, kind of closer to the poles as they move across, it gives that space for the, the energy to consolidate and be more uniform. And that's why the Indos and the Fijis and the Tahitis, the Hawaii's, uh, they're important, you know, and then you even look at like places like Mexico, you know, mainland Mexico, th that's like millions of years of erosion, you know, hundreds of millions of years of erosion happening that are those sandbars, like they came from either a mountaintop or a reef or fish. Something created those sandbanks over millennia that we now surf over. So you look at places like, you know, again, like in Africa and, and these places that are, 
you're like, well, I can't believe these waves are so good. It makes sense because they're mm. super old places. You're not going to like fresh volcanic islands to try to find a killer point break. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And uh, I mean, you know, it's worth keeping that in mind, I reckon, for people who do surf, just to, to acknowledge the history and, and the millions of years of evolution that's occurred to bring you to this spot and, and place in time and give thanks for that. And that, that's what I see at the beach here. And we don't really... We don't do that in Australia, you know. It, it's something that's kind of been lost from our culture, and I, I don't know why it's so prevalent here. Whether it's, uh, I'm sure it's present in Hawaiian culture. I know it's present in American culture. You know, you've got Thanksgiving and, and this kind of, this this yeah, this giving of gratitude and appreciation of uh, the situation that you're in, and having the privilege to surf waves and, and all, and like connecting with nature. This crazy anomaly that's come to be that's allowed uh quality waves to be ridden in whatever form it's yeah it's rad yeah i I'm, i think it's there i think it's everywhere mm. but that f that feeling of gratitude and appreciation it can be pretty quiet and in order to find that things have to be a, i think a bit more peaceful to be able to hear that that sort of conversation and that sort of gratitude and celebration um yeah it's uh it's hard when there's a lot of noise yeah and when it is the culture to do that when all the people around you are doing that you get caught up in that and you know you're like oh yeah like fuck yeah like like i'm giving thanks in this moment like these hawaiians are showing me how and i'm caught up in that and i like i feel like a part of that vibration yeah. now um, and, and talk to us, man, about like the, the surfing mentors, the surfing legends. You know, you're from the same island as Shane Dorian. You're talking about these like sus, sketchy slabs. And then that guy is pretty much peerless uh, in anything from 50 foot freaking jaws to, to like the, some of the craziest photos of Tahitian reef passes, chops, like backdoor pipe, man. The guy is a wizard and it's interesting to know that he, he cut his teeth and earned his stripes on the most technically unforgiving waves. Um, yeah, who, who are the guys that you kind of looked up to who, who might have even had a direct um, impact on your, your surfing life? Probably the biggest impact is Brandon Ahuna lifeguard uh from the east side also woodworker he makes a lot of the wooden boards that I, I ride he uh just he he's in the surf world probably the closest thing i have had to a mentor maybe in terms of uh taking me from that beach that i was telling you is really accessible and just fun for everyone and trying to take me to those 50 maybe waves around the island Brandon Ohuna by far. He he was the person that uh a bit older than me and just I had no car, no nothing, and he's like, You're coming with me. Four o'clock we're going and we would I, I to this day the waves I seen him catch, I, I don't know. I, I I'd put that against anybody, honestly, including Shane, to some of these waves that he paddled out on the big island and surfed alone on five, four half boards. Like he's insane water man. Um, I was also privileged to travel, not travel, but uh, get off island. I don't know if it was a, I mean, it was a privilege, I guess. I was at a boarding school, so 
had a lot of rules, but I had access to this island's waves, uh, Oahu. So I spent a lot of time in my youth looking up and being uh, given opportunities by like Mike Akima from Alawana Bulls side, David Boy Gonzalez. He's another, you know, backdoor Bulls town guy. Um, and then also being able to see in real time guys like Buttons surfing Kaiser Bulls, you know, Bobby Judd. Um, that kind of opened up opportunities to see Derek Ho, Michael Ho. Um, I mean, I, I would see Johnny Boy Gomes surfing as well, like Alamana Bulls, like all these kind of legends of time. Uncle Tony Muniz was another kind of legend that wasn't surfing as much, but these are like names that we knew as these were the top Hawaiian athletes that we they, they could get one cover or one shot in a magazine, and it's all I needed. I'm like, whoa, Tom Pawaku Stone brought a lot of the traditional uh, surfboard carving into the limelight. Uh, also, cover of Surfer Magazine from the 70s, kind of a nuts Hawaiian guy, but the like, sweetest heart, you know, and and surfing with Uncle Ben Aipa, Brian Omona, you know, you're you're talking about history right in front and not really, dude, Jay Adams paddled up to me one time, the skater, Z-Boy, like paddled up to me one time all on bulls and we're just like shooting the shit about stuff. And, I, and at the time, I, I just always knew anyone older than me that was surfing at a certain level was probably a legend. So just treat them that way. I didn't really care uh, about stickers and, and a lot of that stuff growing up. So I guess my influence really came from those people who you, they're out there and you, you know that they just commanded respect in a way. And they didn't force it on you. Like these are the people that, those people I mentioned, they, they never forced that respect onto to me like respect me i'm the man i just i could feel it and they were actually really cool hmm. really really cool to me and uh yeah those are just some of the people as i grew up and and that i i was influenced by surf wise i mean i would watch surf videos so like i learned to surf by watching you know the world was watching too yeah yeah oh that's so right i was really interested to know you know what it was like how these guys would interact with um, just their, their fellow Hawaiians, you know, like obviously we know them as these surfing icons, you know, they would come to Australia. Um, I remember meeting Buttons at South Bondi. I couldn't believe it. Apparently uh, our board riders club had a connection with the V-Land guys and yeah. I was tripping. I was yeah. looking at Buttons and looking at his head. I was probably staring at him like a fucking <laughs> weird, like Grom. Um, and he's such a lovely guy. And, um, yeah, I mean, buttons, dude, they don't get more iconic and, 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 and more connected to the source energy. The way he surfed was, was such a pure expression of some kind of connection or energy that very few people had and have ever had since. I can't believe he got the, the privilege to share yeah. many sessions with him. Yeah, and I, I things you don't really – like you're just trying to get a wave, so you're – I'm not really thinking, oh, I was, I was just like, oh yeah, like I'm just trying to surf. So I wasn't kind of like shot, like, uh, whoa, this is the man. It's like, oh, that's the uncle. He rips. So if I want to get a wave, I got to like watch how he does it. Cause 
that's kind of was the goal to surf. It it wasn't to like be friends with them or, you know, I, I, I have family and uncles at home, you know, and aunties that I need to have a good relationship with. I don't need to go out to <laughs> Kaiser Bowls and like try to make friends with people. I, I, I want to get waves. But those were the people who were getting the waves. And they just so happened to be buttons you know or like ben aipa or someone like that you know it just it, it real lucky i guess it, that it worked out what about me. button surfing in the flesh really grabbed you like when you saw him take off and away and, and put a wave together oh he could he could look like he's standing up in a barrel and the barrel could be knee high like just having a way to stay over the board that's maximizing forward velocity, I, I just would trip out. Like I, at Kaiser Bowls, it's a, such a small little reef pass that is really difficult to get a wave. It's so crowded, and it, 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 I don't know how it is now, but it was quite a bit of a local scene. Uh, but I would be piling over these little waves, and he, I would, you know, you look over the the wave into the barrel. And you can't see the bottom of it. You just see the top. It always looked like he was standing. His afro just was like standing up in a barrel. But that wave was so tiny. And he could do it over and over and just get so small. And then when it got big, he would just, he would stand up. It's like he always could figure out how to perfectly fit in a barrel. And it just looked so killer. And he, he, it was cool. Like I, I seen some people they get kind of like they have that angry face on them he never had an angry face but when he got a barrel no matter if it was knee high or well overhead he was you could tell he was like old like buttons was old when i was you know surfing but he was stoked like a little kid and it was like killer to see this old uncle like just as stoked as me getting a little shampoo head dip you know so yeah he he was always just such an incredible person to be around his surfing was not just standing on a wave is how he would talk to he wouldn't even talk to me like i never actually had a conversation with him. i've seen him like like every day i remember at a certain point and he you know kind of like, what's up kid it wasn't anything but when he would talk to someone like bobby judd or someone like out at kaiser bulls and their conversation i just listen in like i was a part of i heard some like naughty stories from them and i just be like yeah i'm in the club and i just was so stoked but they were like fucking get why, why are you getting close like that kind of like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> like i'm like oh yeah 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 like paddle away i was like that weird just want to be a part of it so i don't know i just i guess I, I hope other people have stories like that with their their local legends or those people that you know it, it's a positive uh fellowship it's not like, uh, oh, they were the man and they were kind of abusive to all of us. So when we get into that spot, we're going to abuse others. It's like they weren't abusive, but they weren't super cool But they, to me, but they were cool. Like to me, I, like, they were, I yeah. could see like people that didn't belong out there. They kind of were, they actually were pretty cool too in those sense too. They kind of just looked over at like maybe more of the louder person. Like, oh, I think maybe you should talk to that guy. Like they didn't want to be the guy who yelled and got it like they, they were cool they're all like those guys that i i kind of mentioned they were always like the cool guys except yeah. for maybe uh johnny boy he was he, he got pretty nuts oh yeah <laughs> I can imagine 
for uh, finding God. But uh, yeah, fuck, man, that's so interesting. I mean, it's emotional maturity at the end of the day. You don't want to have to be the local guy enforcing shit, man. That's just ruining your own central nervous yeah. system. Like, fuck, it's no way to live. Like, staunching people and, and being the, the police of, of the water. Like, it's, I get that there's a need for that for sure, uh, certain waves, but. Man, it's a, it's a big responsibility and it just ruins you. I'm like, the, yeah. you see that the, the lifelong, committed, smart guys, that there's a way to kind of weave that matrix without having to, to be the guy laying down the law all the time. Well, Man, the waves too, they, they, they kind of, I think they're the biggest regulator of, of all. The wave is going to regulate who, who's going to be out there. And I think getting to a certain level in surfing, knowing where we exist. I mean, there's guys like Berkey that don't say anything. Just look like nerds out in the water, and they're gnarly, and they're so cool and nice. And you see someone yelling at, like, the point break as if they're the man, and you know someone like Russell who's, like, so quiet and cool, but way gnarlier than that guy who's yelling at everyone at the fun local point break. It's almost embarrassing for that person. And I, to me, like, I don't, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy that's, like not gnarly in the water but trying to like be gnarly by yelling at other people oh man man well, there's such a heavy karma attached to that and that's that that is that that guy who's yelling is, is making himself sick man ultimately like yeah. just on a fucking anatomical level he's cruel in any chance of happiness man i know you're an aficionado of bodyboarding too we're having a, yeah. a yarn about that and uh it's one of the raddest things about hawaii like uh, you know particularly like bodyboarding's a, a big deal here, man, and it makes perfect sense because your native Hawaiians—they don't have the money for fucking a six hundred dollar thruster, let alone like the ten of them you need in a, a good season here. Yeah. So, um, I, I see that kind of connection with bodyboarding here as, in a weird way, like a modern incarnation of the connection with the the alaya. No, I know I'm mispronouncing that, but um, yeah, like it, it's what's accessible. And it enables them to still connect with the ocean in, in a pure way, which they do. Uh, and there was guys like Danny Kim and Chris Wan who even learned to fucking stand up on these things. Yeah. Not to a small degree, like to a proficient level where they're getting barreled at pipe and shit. Yeah. Fucking blew my mind yeah. when I was a kid. Could not believe it. Yeah. In those No Friends videos, Chris Wan doing these crazy yeah. deep backside bottom turns at... Like six foot pipe standing up on a forty two inch piece of foam. Fuck. Yeah, wonton. He's yeah, I mean those are we we have we have pipo, which is a form of belly surfing in our with the wooden surfboards and things like that. Yeah, bodyboarding, especially on, on certain islands where like bodyboarding on the big island is a bit more uh the choice. Uh one just kind of the way the sort of waves but also yeah prolonging that ability to surf throughout the whole season without having broken boards um yeah there's incredible bodyboarders here in in hawaii and they're actually still it still exists like a, a pretty core bodyboard uh culture and it's a uh, yeah we're where I'm from, we kind of surf together. Bodyboarders and surfers kind of coexist. And I, I see that kind of happening now in Australia a bit more. It's more widely accepted. Guys like Haz and Noah pushing pushing the sponge and the boog. The boog unity, uniting of the clans. Uh, 
I don't know if California has really caught on board with that yet or some of the other parts of the world, but yeah, bodyboarding to me, it's just, a, it's just, you know, people like Fergal Smith from Ireland, crazy slab. I mean, I, I would really hope people know Fergal and remember his contributions in slab hunting and just big ways of consequence. But he, he's the same philosophy, surf it until you gets too dry and then, you know, drag it. Like, <laughs> Fergal was the man, yeah. Got to spend a couple of weeks up there with him back in 2010, him and Mickey. And, you know, his partner in crime is like an OG, you know, I want to say pro bodyboarder, but there's no fucking money in it. So let's just say elite bodyboarder, bodyboarding filmmaker. And, and, you know, that uniting of the clans is actually so enriching to the elite levels of surfing. It, it really like is the match made in heaven. Those, the bodyboarders understand these kinds of wavescapes just better than surfers because they've been doing it a lot longer and they're getting them into the right cons. They're usually behind the film when they do it. They're like, hey, you want to fucking have a crack, dude? There's many days where we can have a crack and I'll uh, get behind the lens. Dude, Mike Stewart, he's from my island too. Is he? Yeah. He's... I didn't even know Stewart was fucking Hawaiian. That's so weird. I love Stewart. Yeah. He's the... Wow, he's from... Wow. crazy he's a he, he's that makes a lot of sense when, when you talk about you know people from the island shano obviously legend mad respect you know it, it changed the game across the world mike has personally for me i've surfed more with mike and he would come down he would come down to those you know easy waves and bring 15 20 bodyboards and, and like little contests that are just like random. He's just like, oh, I'm in town. I got some. And he just like hand out these boards. And I, I honestly don't even know if he did, just did it one time or if it was one board. Or But in my mind, what I think about, I remember Mike Stewart. It was the whole town talked about. Mike Stewart rolled up with bodyboards and gave them away to kids. Like It was like the craziest, the craziest thing. And just like a couple winters ago we were surfing this wave and and everyone was kind of just waiting around and i was out on a, on the water on a boat and he's like oh yeah we're out there he like paddled by and, and where he was going i couldn't see the angle and i'm like i don't want to die essentially i was like where are you going he surfed he surfed this wave that man i i just i didn't even know really we had waves actually uh, on our island that got that way it was like a really freak swell and mike was just surfing it alone and him being like let's surf let's surf and i paddled over eventually and he was like oh it's slowing down like it's not as good as it was earlier and i know it wasn't the swell died rapidly but i just think like you know instead of trying to he arguably is one of the best surfers in history and for him to just paddle up to to people like let's surf let's do this not to be like watch me kid stay on the boat or you know, whatever, to just be like, again, inviting and share that perspective. Like, yeah, Mike's in, in that, that legend inspiration category as well, inclusive and commands respect. Okay. Come surf with me on this wave. That is psycho. Like it's wow. Like what can you ask for? And then you just put, he puts the accountability maybe on you. Like, okay, you, you want this? Come and get it. Like mm. I'll be here you know, if you want to, and I'll be a friend to surf with and keeps you honest. Like those are the legends in my mind versus someone saying afraid that, oh, maybe you're going to get a better wave than me and I'm not going to be seen as a God anymore. I'm going to be seen as a human. I've seen that out happen. 
out at places like Jaws, you know, where at one point Pe'ahi was reserved for the gladiators. And now it's become very accessible for anybody in the world can surf there if you, if you want to try it. And people don't like that. There are people in the lineup who don't want the access to be given to everyone. Mm. And everyone has their reasons, and, and a lot of them have good points. Yeah, the safety I, concerns totally. with 10 foot boards swinging around is, uh, is real. Totally. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's other people that live by a philosophy. If you want it, the waves will regulate themselves. Mm. Totally. And if you want it and put your time in, like there's some cosmic forces at play where the, those waves seem to always go to the right person anyway. Yeah, um, totally. But man, that, that that's super interesting about Stuart because yeah, like bodyboarding operates on like an inverse value system. And, and this is kind of why I connected uh, with the, the Boogers from my hometown who were elite, you know, they, they were in those early tension films and they would offer to take you and show you their waves they would call you into waves they'll give you waves yeah. that would fucking never happen yeah. in surfing hey man you're yeah. up like go this one you're like yeah. what you're giving me a wave yeah and uh i guess part of the reason is they have a, a real abundance of riches like those kinds of slabs like there's only so many of those kinds of waves you want in a session so yeah. like after like three or four, it's like, yeah, you, 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 you can't give them away. Like yeah. you, you can't. Yeah. There's n not people out there on sticks who want them. And uh, the only option really is to, yeah, you know, kind of bring people along in the bodyboarding fraternity. Hopefully there's a couple of brave s souls on the stick who want to have a crack. But um, it's a mad culture and, and doesn't get the respect it deserves. Uh, and, and Mike Stewart, man, he is fucking peerless. It's so tripped out. Like he reminds me of Slater in so many ways, right down to the point that they're both kind of, as they age, starting to look more and more like each other. Just these <laughs> two Sultana brown tube Gandhis. Uh, yeah. These fucking pious surf monks who just dedicated their life to the ocean. And yeah, it, it's magic, man. But, um, Man, before I let you go, Mega Lab, dude. Yeah. Talk us. This is like yeah. one of the fucking most genius things I've ever heard of. I actually couldn't believe it yeah. when I first heard of it. Tell us a bit about Mega Lab. Yeah, Mega Lab. That's that's what I'm. That just represents my journey that I've been on. I would say the relationship between technology and nature. That's Mega in in, in my world, and I want people who want to fuck with technology and nature to fuck with the mega lab, you know, and I don't feel science has to be put in this altruistic, pragmatic sort of, we're going to make cures and, and have a debate over vaccines and just get lost in all that sauce. And, and I'm, science is super fun and rad. And it's like, it's interesting. And like, I want more people to just feel this feeling of like stoked that I get when I'm able to look at something and think about it and be able to articulate how it's working on like a molecular level or on a spiritual level. That's all science. And that's what Megalab is a place for that. It's a group of people who love surfing, love skating, really hate institution. We have our crew of people that we go and we just figure out what do we want to do? We want to surf reef breaks. Okay, what's important for a reef break? The reef. 
okay, how can we help it? Let's map it. So we're putting together these this global map of the best surf breaks around the world. So one, we can surf it. And two, we can learn more about it. Because if we know more about it, then we're going to be able to either protect it or, or keep getting barreled on it. Like that's our whole philosophy, using science as a tool to protect these killer places that we want to experience. So a big, a big moment for us that we go out and do is we map. Maps are the cornerstones, or maps are the cornerstones of civilizations. Since the beginning of time, we've had maps. Where's the treasure in all your maps that you make? And successful civilizations, they are able to and they were able to find where the treasure is and map it and show people this is where it is. No one's mapped our reef breaks. Dude, imagine if that's what the actual treasure was. It was a feeling, an energy yeah. that we put inside of ourselves. Oh, and dude, the, the yeah. treasure map is actually the X is on the is on the reef break because that gives you the energy. Yeah. And we've been look we've been barking down this fucking Spanish conquistador colonial horse shit for hundreds of years looking for fucking shiny bits of metal thinking it's gonna make us feel good. No, yeah, dude. Get well the that's vision, you idiots. That's for us. That the waves are our treasure. Mm. You know, and we're trying to map our treasure because that's what we as humans do. We've we're mappers, dude. And we've always been mapping. And we're just taking it as surfers. What do we map? Or what do we value and what do we treasure? We treasure the reef. And that's, we just love, I, I love, personally, I love reefs. I love reef waves. I love the way they provide food. They have cultural significance. Uh, they, they have potential medicine on top of them. They provide, they're the nurseries just for productivity for the entire planet. There's molecules on the reef that are also found in your heart and in your lung. The same tissue on the coral reef has the same molecule that's in your heart. Dude, like it's for real, the heart of the fucking planet. You know, it's like molecularly connected to us as people and we can get barreled with them. Like it's not on them. When you think about when you're in the barrel at a reef break, there's a little tiny animal below there like throwing up their hands like, yeah, fucking this guy's getting barreled and both you guys are. Both you are experiencing the energy as that thing is warping your your moment of happiness. And to me, maybe a fish will swim through or a bird might be, but like the reef, the coral animal, that's like one of the only animals that you're getting barreled with. And it's, to me, I want to map them. I want to map every single best wave in the planet. And that's what the Mega Lab does. And as as a team, as a group of people, as a collective, we want people to join that. And it doesn't have to be you need to come out and map reefs with us or you got to care about science or you got to try to be a, you don't even have to be a good person. Like at this point, it's like, I just would like to see people that want to better their connection to nature. And we have technology, how we map. That's the way we, Mm. we connect people. And where does, the mega labs stand on something like reef sculpting like i love reefs too and i spent a lot of my time in indonesia and other parts of the pacific uh looking at almost waves like fuck yeah, yeah. thousands of them man and then i see people going and like creating wave pools and i'm like wow that's such a big resource spend it doesn't really seem to gel with where we're going and then i see people like blowing up reefs for industrial purposes i see 
people blowing up rocks on land to build your average house and killing fucking tons of bugs and insects and shit. And I'm not like, I, I'm only putting this out there as a question and a theory cause I don't really know, but, um, yeah. What is your take on that? Because I mean, when you're mapping reefs, is there also the, the capacity to sculpt them and like looking at it from a more holistic, say spiritual point of view, it's like, if you create more of this wave resource, then like surfing is a positive man for the planet it's a way for like you see the most wealthy influential capitalist people connecting with nature uh, mark zuckerberg and lives in fucking quiet guys surfs like that's that to me is like a positive thing um and yeah i just wonder like by creating all these different spots whether that could be a, a major net gain you know it always brings money like you look at Indo or anywhere, it's like, fuck, once you got a world-class wave there, it is gold, man. It's like oil. Yeah, I think we're still a bit of ways off, realistically, from designing an artificial reef that could generate some sort of economic stimulus on a level that is worth the potential impact to the ecosystem. Mm. Because anytime humans put anything into the environment, it, it's probably going to fuck it up a bit. Yeah, and, but, and, but not so much like putting it in, but like, taking away like parts of reef i don't know it's yeah a stupid idea no i think that's uh <laughs> when you look at the reef system again even taken away yeah because our artificial reefs suck we got a few of them in australia and they're fucking a debacle but that's the that's what that's what i'm like trying to that's why i'm so confused is there people are just making artificial reefs but have they ever mapped out what a good reef looks like i looked at those airbag things and i'm like where did you, where, why did you come up with this thing? How, <laughs> what was your inspiration? Wow. You know, and I think now. A car crash, obviously. <sighs> I mean, I don't know if, if that looks like, uh, the, again, just bags of sand that doesn't make any sense where we've mapped now pipeline, we've mapped cloud break, we've mapped Taupo. Like we have three of arguably the best waves on the planet and we have the, bathymetry of what it looks like to the point where we can even see what types of corals exist on top of it and to me that's that's it has so much value how it gets used again it's still we're still in this infancy as a lab trying to understand who owns this we say the people of the community have the intellectual property so we we have never attempted to try to sell the blueprints of these reef for commercial gain. We've mm. gotten offers. We we haven't uh, chose to do that because we believe that that IP belongs to the indigenous people, the, the original stewards. Yeah, it's such a good land. point, man. Because when I think about all these maybe waves, really the question goes to the community living there. How how would you like to have potentially, if the technology provided a world class wave right here? And you know, it's like. You can look at these other spots around and you, you see mining companies and, and resource companies do this all the time. They go to these impoverished communities and go, hey, how would you like a coal mine yeah. here? Yeah. This is, a, this is a, a, a different spin on that. But, yeah. um, you know, anything that brings health and wealth in that order to a, a community that needs it is, is not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, it also... Per for people like in Tahiti who have that resource already, that now it's going to get modified. Now they have a blueprint. 
and they have the map. They say, hey, we have this many gold coins on our reef. <laughs> and you're taking them away by putting your tower. Mm. Like, no, fuck that. And then, okay, you guys are doing it anyway. Okay, you owe us this many gold coins because there's none. You took that many from us. You know, now the map becomes a tool. Wow. To be able to protect, like a tool to protect wow. what they have, these resources. So the, the map is a very powerful huh. thing that we want to empower people with. We want to say, not just let's map your reef. Hey, we'll show you how to do it. Anyone can do this with an iPhone, with a GoPro. We're, we're not like trying to make rocket science or give us a subscription and we'll map your reef. We're like, oh, no, come to the Mega Lab. Come party with us. We'll show you how we get barreled, how we map our reefs and take it home. Like, and we'll have partnerships and sponsors and parties and contests and clips like, you know, Reef Footwear stepped up big for this. They're the people who are funding this whole project no for the way. last three years. Wow. Yeah, like my, like it wasn't even a part of my uh, deal with Reef to like, okay, we're going to go map reefs. It was like I got on the team and months in, it's like, so what are we going to do? I was like, I got this kind of crazy idea. I don't know if you guys are into it. And this is like, you're coming to the table with heavies on the team that have their proposals that include world tour, surfing jaws, discovering new point breaks around the world. Like they're the team is they got some proposals yeah, on the table. There's some shamans in that mix for sure. There's no like, oh yeah, just Cliff, what do you want to do? Let let like I had to definitely put it on the table next to some other proposals there that I like thought that I would personally much rather see Shano get the hugest barrel in the world or something I'd over this thing so i kind of came in like oh, i don't know here's this idea what do you guys think and the reef people were like let's try it let's start with pipe we do it with pipe and it's like okay that was actually pretty cool hmm. where do you want to go next if you had a budget for like an, a, a, whatever campaign around it and i was like oh, oh tavarua all expense paid <laughs> and they were like okay I, I it was like you know hail mary like oh you like pipe it was literally flyover with our gopros there was waves we we kind of did like check this out and they're like oh that's killer okay what would you do next and i just went big like oh fiji tavaru let's go cloud break you know did that ended up working and then now we're starting to understand some crazy scientific understandings about how humans interact on reefscapes because we worked with Surfline and we got the Apple Watch or all those, you know, tracks that, you know, I think it's like kind of gimmicky. I thought it was gimmicky at first, like how fast you go and where you go on the wave or whatever you can see on your watch and then go onto the, the app. But what we did is we asked Surfline if we could get access to that data to see where surfers are moving on the reef. And now we're doing the math and we're showing, well, there's certain morphological features on the reef that surfers fuck with more than other parts of the reef and it's showing human behavior now oh humans actually like these this much cracks in the reef they like this much caves in it because we're seeing it in pipeline in cloud break delpo specific cracks in caves and a certain orientation on the reef that more surfers are gravitating towards so uh, it, it's it gets me excited to be that like crazy man we're learning it, it started off with seeming like kind of like a selfish hack like the surfer biome project that i went around and traveled and just wanted to 
surf the waves. But with science, it became meaningful and it becomes meaningful. And now we're learning about just different parts of wave dynamics and how humans interact with reef that's never been done before. Like we've mapped lions around the world and pigeons homing and everything like that. But we don't know how humans with math interact with the reef. And now we're starting to learn it at the Mega Lab. So that's kind of the, what's going down now. Mate. What an amazing chapter. It's incredible. I mean, I look at the work of Paul Stamets, like, you know, there's other people in your field that are doing this, like, uh, you know, Paul Stamets being the, the, the world's leading mycologist. I'm sure everyone knows Paul Stamets. Uh, but like, yeah, just this breaching of technology and nature and showing these patterns and, and how they, how we as humans fit into it. Man, fuck, it's amazing, Cliff. Thank, thank you, you so much, brother. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for fucking coming on the pod and uh, spreading your your information. It's it's an exciting, really exciting time to be alive when uh, start, people like yourself are, are producing you know, outcomes like this. It's fucking magic. Oh, too kind. Thanks, bro. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Legendary. <laughs>